0: You are listening to The Exchange. I'm your host, Dr. Lorraine. Good afternoon, everybody. Thank you so much for listening and tuning in today. I have my guest, Amber here that is going to be speaking to us about dealing with anxiety. And as we all know, this is something that has touched everybody's life that everybody can relate to and has related to at one point in time in their life or another. So I am so thankful that you agreed to come on the exchange, Amber. Welcome.
1: Thank you so much. I am really excited to be here and so honored and privileged that you would ask me.
0: So we're going to jump right into the interview, and I wanted you to first talk to our audience, and I wanted you to tell them a little bit about yourself, where you're from, your family, your work, your education, and just a little bit about you today.
1: Okay. Um, Let's see. Well, I grew up in Pennsylvania as a home missionary kid, uh, setting up folding chairs in our living room and praying that all those chairs would be filled. Um, I felt a tremendous burden and a call to dedicate my whole life to ministry. Mm -hmm. So I went to Bible college in Stockton, California, and I graduated with a bachelor's in music theory and an associate degree in biblical studies. Um, But I would say that those those little pieces of paper themselves don't accurately attest to just how significant those four years of my life were and how impactful the faculty and instructors of Christian Life College were to the foundation of my ministry and my further education and the steps that God continues to order in my life. So. <clears throat> I continued my education at Liberty University uh, to pursue a professional counseling degree in marriage mm-hmm. and family therapy. And I believe strong families, our um, strong churches are built on strong families. And I would say, um, That that is probably where like the juncture where my burden and my heart began to like long for passion to meet purpose as far as um, in my continued studies for my graduate degree. Um, I really started to think about how God could use that later on in my life. So um, that was like a, a turning point for me just thinking about families and marriages and children, and how they would grow and build strong churches and they're not perfect families but healthy and strong families. Um, So then while pursuing my graduate degree, my husband and I traveled full-time in ministry and financial development for Tupelo Children's Mansion. And that's a children's home based in Tupelo, Mississippi. um, And it's a ministry of the United Pentecostal Church. Uh, It was a unique and very adventurous life. I did that for eight years and it was hundred percent ordained of God. And it afforded us the opportunity to visit and minister in over a thousand churches across our country. So doing that even more often, I felt like it was in my face all the time about, you know, strong churches and strong families. So God was really working on me Um, today. My husband and I pastor Grace Point Sanctuary in Dublin, Ohio. I am a dependently licensed marriage and family therapist, and I have a small private practice that interestingly began during the pandemic, <laughs> which was a <laughs> time to choose faith over fear. And um, that private practice serves the community and supports churches in the area with a needed service of professional counseling.
0: Awesome. So I was going to add, so you and your husband met at CLC?
1: Mhm. right for
0: those Students. Awesome. And what does your your husband is the full time pastor there?
1: Okay. Yes, he's the lead pastor there. Yeah. Okay.
0: Very cool. Well, that yes. is a wonderful journey. Of course, I am a Bible college person myself, so I understand what that time there oh. can do for you. How God can just do a work in your life. And you're right when you're saying, oh, those pieces of paper they don't accurately no. <laughs> do not accurately describe what that meant. Um so I, I appreciate you doing that. And I appreciate you, you know, pastor's wife and mom and also doing the work of the Lord being an independent licensed therapist. So I think that's incredible that you're able to do that. Um so I wanted to kind of go into our subject today and we were talking about dealing with anxiety. And so I wanted to kind of just explain to some of the people out there, our listeners who maybe are not so familiar with anxiety, we hear it a lot, maybe we feel it here and there, but just what are the major symptoms of anxiety when you are treating people and doing counseling with them in your practice?
1: Yeah, well, I think at first it's important to note that um, there are different types of anxiety. So for example, there's social anxiety, there's separation anxiety. Um, Anxiety can show up in post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, obsessive compulsive anxiety disorder that's also an anxiety disorder Uh, but to generalize just a little bit according to the diagnostic and statistical manual of mental disorders general anxiety disorder is going to be anxiety and worry that's associated with three or more of like these six symptoms that I'm going to mention so um restlessness or feeling on edge. And that just, I mean, I think everyone knows what restlessness is like. You just, Mm -hmm. you feel like you can't sit still. You can't slow your mind down, things like that, being easily fatigued. And that's like, well, I haven't really done that much, but I still am feeling so exhausted, but it's not like I'm tired. I'm just fatigued. So being easily fatigued is another symptom. Um, Difficulty concentrating experience Mm -hmm. of what a lot of my clients call brain fog, or your your mind going blank, or like, you're working really hard to think of a word. And I mean, that happens to everyone a little bit. But when it's happening constantly, um, that's a difficulty that could be a symptom of anxiety, Um, irritability, and that can look different on a lot of different people, uh, depending on like, your, your personality, or like, if you're more introverted, irritability can just like, be like feeling tensed or, tense or angry um, with other people. You could be more vocal and you could find yourself raising your voice or being irritated by things very easily. Um, A fifth one would be muscle tension, which can present in different ways. But what I see um, a lot of times with the clients that sit across from me, a large majority of the time, um, shoulders just are really tense. And they're kind of up by people's ears. Mine do it too when I get nervous (laughs) and anxious. Um, But they're kind of up around your ears and just rigid and kind of tense overall. So that's a muscle tension uh, thing. And I think that specifically kind of helps integrate that Anxiety isn't just going to present in your mind or in your thoughts. It's going to have like some physical um, demonstrations there. And then lastly, a sleep disturbance disturbance. Um, mm-hmm. It's a common symptom, which can look like difficulty falling asleep or difficulty staying asleep, just restless in general and unsatisfying sleep. Um, But after saying all of that, I I think I want to say here that um, while the diagnostic manual uses the standard terms for diagnosis Mm -hmm. that provide helpful framework, they really are very helpful and anyone who has a you know, a graduate degree or a continued degree, higher education um, in counseling or therapy or any of the behavioral sciences, you know that we're going to use that a lot. Uh, But for me, it's not the foundation of understanding the human condition of anxiety. Um, Rather, I'm going to use the word of God. Our creator and the founder mm-hmm. of the world, um, that's the lens I'm going to use to define and understand anxiety because the problem can become um, that these diagnoses sink into our subconscious mm. and become our identity. So when you hear my anxiety is really bad today, or I was late because of my anxiety, <laughs> or my anxiety calls me to yell at my kids. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think we wrap ourselves around this warp of believing and solidifying that we are dysfunctional and broken or disordered, and that—and this is um, really key for me—that um, removes our responsibility, and we don't rightly hold ourselves accountable to having uncomfortable conversations that tell us the truth about what is wrong in our lives. Mm-hmm. Um, so obviously, I'm kind of using a redemptive lens there. But in short, really, um, the diagnosis can help us name the dragon, but. I really push hard against anxiety as identity and rather Mm -hmm. as something that serves a purpose in our lives for a season. Um, It's the difference between thinking, I have this anxiety disorder versus I'm writing a really tough chapter in my story right now. Mm -hmm. And that distinction is so that anxiety can be understood as something that we move through and experience rather than something that we are.
0: Mm -hmm that makes that makes perfect sense. I love the fact that you're saying that like it's we making sure that you can differentiate between the anxiety and that it doesn't have to become your identity or the right. reason why you do the things that you do maybe in some cases but once you like you said identify it
1: mm-hmm. then
0: you can work towards you know, making disassociating yourself from it and and uh, and dealing with it, and managing it. Yeah. So I, say,
1: I wanted to. I'm sorry. <laughs> that's all right. I was just going to say I think there's something biological there as well that that mm-hmm. we can insert and, um, based on like I don't believe that anxiety is genetic, but biologically I think based on our genetics we might be more prone to yeah more prone to be really tense, like in a scary situation. Or if we see, if we view something, you know, we might be more prone to uh, have increased heart rate or things like that. And I think all of those things are important when we're talking about anxiety and, and considering that because there are some things that are genetic but anxiety doesn't have to be who we are. It doesn't have to be our story. It can be something that we sorry, sorry, just want to add that. <laughs>
0: So, and that, that really goes into what I wanted to talk about next that you're kind of already talking about is what are the things that cause anxiety? And as you mentioned, there is maybe some predisposition, maybe some things, but that, that maybe biologically um, might make you more prone to be anxious, um, but it doesn't necessarily have to be your complete identity. But what are other some of the things that cause anxiety? Maybe things that we do or just things in general that kind of uh, cause you to be maybe more anxious or give you more anxiety than what's needed. Yeah.
1: Well, yes, exactly. I I like what you said there, as far as something giving you more anxiety than what's needed, because I think (laughs) to some degree, I think we have to acknowledge that some anxiety is needed. I think Mm -hmm. a healthy dose of anxiety can really uh, help us get up in the morning and arrive at work on time or at school on time. I think it can help us pay our bills on time. It can help us um, be motivated, you know, to do things in our life. Anybody who's had a, a, like a continuing education realizes those things don't mm-hmm. come easy. It's really hard. <laughs> talk to talk to any physician that's in residency. There's ton of anxiety. They aren't having a sleep disturbance other than their work. You know, they're, they're not getting much sleep. So uh, there is some anxiety that is just natural and it's healthy, but as far as what's needed. Yeah. Um, like going beyond what, what is just like a natural little bit of anxiety that will help you answer your alarm in the morning and get out of bed and and get moving. Um, so yeah, the etiology of anxiety. Wow. Well, where do I start there in this world? (laughs) Um, I think there are so many things. Well, and let me just throw a little thing out there just to, um, just to give some semblance of what anxiety is for people who maybe have never experienced that. Currently in the United States, anxiety affects more than 40 million adults. And that number is only increasing and often highly underreported because it maybe is not diagnosed necessarily. So um, in a world like we live in today, there is a lot of striving. So we're woken up first thing in the morning um, by a blaring alarm, talk about threat response. I totally have a threat response. My my heart literally pounds like when my alarm rings. And so then I have to like calm everything. And so that's a natural response in my body. Like, You know, I just woke up, there's, there's this, and then um, you have like the pressures of um, doing more, doing it all, having it all, Um, Mm -hmm. social media, just when you think you have everything, you know, set and you're really content, you look on social media and someone's doing it better or bigger or for a longer period of time, we we um, we exercise and we do all of these things. There's work involved and just the pressures to um, to perform, and uh, that's that's an anxiety that I would say when I sit across from my clients, um, anxiety really probably doesn't affect unnaturally uh, many people who are just very laid back and don't have like this determination to to meet their goals and these aspirations to do that. Anxiety is is affecting people who have all these things they want to do, who have short term, short term and long-term goals. They have smart goals and they have, I want to do this. And how I they're the people that are saying like if there were only more than 24 hours in a day, how I, <laughs> right? How would I how would I <laughs> um how would I perform better if I if, because then you know maybe if I just didn't have to sleep, how could I do that? how could I have these delicious home cooked meals and be a mother that, that works and uh, homeschools my kids and uh, does all these things. And they're, they're trying to measure up all the time. So I think this world really sets us up for um, an unnatural dose of anxiety. Um, And I think we did talk about genetics and, and biology. There is a little bit of that there. You, have a predisposition to have certain physiological responses to certain things. Um I think that we cannot ignore um the position of trauma with anxiety. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um I and that uh, we all have a little trauma in our life. There's big T trauma and there's little T trauma. And sometimes I just like to call it painful past learning. And mm-hmm. that really moves into our present and kind of tries to tell us something about ourselves. I think, um, I don't know if that's like a textbook answer necessarily, but those are all things that cause anxiety. And we either move through it or we get stuck in it. And when you feel like the, the wheels on your vehicle are just spinning um, and you're not really making it anywhere and maybe even sinking down a little bit deeper, um, anxiety can get very serious.
0: So I wanted to go into, we all, like you just mentioned, everybody has some sort of anxiety when you get up in the morning and that you got to get going because that alarm is (laughs) off and you've got to, you know, some people are like, and I'm going to down some coffee for me. It's not so much coffee, but, you know, we're going to go, we got to go, go, go because, you know, life is busy. But when Mm -hmm. does it become such a problem? When does somebody know, you know what, this is not just kind of, regular anxiety. This is something that is affecting my life. When is it that we kind of take or somebody who's experienced that takes the next step and kind of does something about it or or maybe it's just interfering with things that they're doing on the daily. So mm-hmm. when does outside help become necessary?
1: Um, I think <clears throat> that's very I, I would say that that's pretty individual. Um, but at the same time, like as far as um, the diagnosis that we were talking about earlier and the diagnostic and statistical manual and and those symptoms, those symptoms or three of them of the six have to be present um, for more days than not uh, for like the last six months. Mm -hmm. And I think self-awareness is really important here uh, because I don't know that we're all very good at At tracking, like just exactly when did I start feeling this way or when was it the norm for me to be so like the irritability in my life was so normal that I, you know, I'm yelling at my kids all the time or whatever. Um, And so I think self-awareness is a really important thing, but for six, for the diagnosis of generalized anxiety disorder, you have to have at least three or more of those symptoms for most days than not for like the past six months. And I think, um, kind of what's undergirding what you're saying there is about, is about medication, I think, and outside help. And I would say that the majority of the clients that I see that have anxiety, um, have not seen a, like, um, a Psychiatrist in order to have anxiety medication. Um, it's usually a primary care provider that is saying, "Well, okay, so these things are happening for you, and so I may prescribe some anxiety medication." And then uh, I I want to speak to this because especially with Christians, I think, um, knowing when it is okay to get outside help and feeling okay with that. And so right. we can call that shame. Is that, mm-hmm. is it like, I have so much shame because like, I feel like I'm losing control and I just can't get a grip. Um, and so I'm trying to, you know, read my Bible more and I'm trying all these behavioral things. And then they go to their primary care provider, maybe for a regular physical and the medication is suggested. And many people will say, you know, is it okay at our church, even like as the pastors, why people come, is it okay for me to take medication? Is that okay? And, and, um, I think that we have to view anxiety as an alarm that's going off. It's a very natural thing to tell us, not like the alarm that wakes us up, but these like a fire alarm, so to speak. And, um, I think when those alarms cannot be silenced by anything that you're trying by taking a step back or by um, um, just by anything that you can do to kind of calm yourself, to eat better nutrition, and you're trying all these things and you can't, silence those alarms. Um, I think medication can be a bridge that gets you to a place and building on the understanding that anxiety becomes a default brain response for moments when you feel out of control, not in charge or not safe. Those alarms, um, they start to interrupt your ability, as you said, to function at work, to -hmm. connect with people, to be a present parent because the alarms are so loud and they're incessant. Um, medication can really help you take your hands off your ears, I think, as far as the alarms being too loud and dial down those things so that you can connect with, with mentors and, and counselors that can help you build skills and put things into practice and be vulnerable to a process, um, be humble with your loved ones and, and work really hard to examine your life. Um, but, I, but I feel like it's really important, and I coach people through this a lot. Medication is not going to heal you or fix the problems or the anxiety. So I think with urgency, we need to pay attention and collaborate closely with those prescribers and have an end game because, in almost every situation, almost every situation, I'm going to clarify that mm-hmm. um, it's not a long term solution. But I think when you see anxiety really interrupting, like, um, just your daily life, being able to connect like the pleasures that you would normally have that when you're sitting around your family and you really want to be present, um, and you find that you can't because your thoughts are just so loud um, or they're spiraling out. Um, and you're having trouble getting up going to work, you know, you just can't function. those are that's when, that's when I would say outside help is is necessary. And hopefully you have loving um, people around you that care about you that can say, hey, you, you probably should get some help.
0: Mm-hmm. And that
1: can look like therapy. It can look like medication. It can look like a group. It can look like just like taking a step back things a little bit.
0: Well, I appreciate you saying that, especially as a pastor's wife, that understands that, like you said, when it is, when you've done all the things that you have tried to do, when you're mm-hmm. trying to get the right sleep and you're trying to dial yeah. down caffeine, and you've yeah. done all of these things that you can possibly do, trying to take out as much stress as you can, you know, there's so much things that you can do, but when you have gotten to that place that you have done, when you have prayed all that you can pray and read your Bible and, and are going Mm -hmm. to church faithfully getting your tithing and it's still, still a problem, you know, then it's like, okay, you know, we, we need to do stuff because this is, I need to be able to, like we mentioned, not be so much in my head that I can't enjoy my family's company or yeah. be so I feel like I'm so out of control. And I think that that is a wonderful thing that you said, because there are people that just feel like they are out of control. They've tried everything yeah. they know how to do and just feel like, wow. But I do think that you, and, and this is what I've heard. So please correct me. I feel like I've heard it so many times that medication and you know therapy those two together that often give the best results because you were helping that but then also you mentioned therapy it's like teaching good coping skills and talking yeah. to somebody and having that support system and being able to do that so that you can you know and it's it's not a, a long-term thing you know it's a, a short term that's going to help you to bridge like you said I love the fact that you said this is the bridge
1: mm-hmm.
0: yeah is the bridge and uh and then seeing somebody coming in seeing somebody like you who's a counselor and can help you bring some perspective and and help with the anxiety.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, I think um it doesn't have to be medication. Some people want to refuse that. And and when the alarms are really loud and I like to use that analogy there because um if you've ever had a fire alarm that was on but there was no fire and you couldn't turn it off or you had to wait for the fire um department to come and turn it off it is piercing. It's in your ears. And that's really what anxiety is like. And when it's just like, okay, I cannot connect with my family. I can't do this. Medication doesn't have, I mean, I think medication and therapy together are fantastic. It kind of depends on how far or how deep, you know, and, and how difficult the anxiety has been for you. But, um, really the whole point of the medication, like I said, is to, to dial back the alarms and like silence them a little bit so that you can actually do the work that you need right. to do, which means that you have to look at what is going on. Mm-hmm. Um, what? Why do I have this anxiety? And when when we go too long, like you said, without really treating it, or there's shame uh, there and saying like, oh, "Well, this is just who I am," or maybe this is just it. Then you know what what can uh, become the trouble there is that anxiety um, moves. Um, kind of in the front, but what you have kind of undergirding that is depression. Mm -hmm. And um, then we get, we get really depressed because we don't want to go out. We can't do the things that we need to do. We can't do what God's calling us to do. We can't perform in a certain way, or like we, we see everyone's eyes looking at us and judging us and all of those intentions. And so uh, it becomes, yeah, um, a kind of a scary thing. So when you have loving people that are standing around you and say, you know hey let's let's get some help and there's no shame in that medication and therapy can really help therapy alone can really help medication alone can help a little bit but that you cannot remove the responsibility of realizing like what is wrong in my life as far as can i can i keep you know adding more things on <clears throat> to to live up to some expectation or some standard that i'm holding myself to and and not and and not fall apart or not like run myself ragged and then at the same time as we aren't willing to let go of anything we just want to jump ship all the time people who are really at a at a very heightened level of anxiety say i just want to get in my car and drive away or i just want to run away from everything and i know that's so wrong and then the shame kind of comes over and there's this self-loathing that i have a beautiful family and i have i have children or you know i'm i'm completing my 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 doctorate degree. And I have all these things and I have all these hopes and everybody's counting on me. And I just backing up from all of that. It's like, why, why are my thoughts and my feelings and like what my actions are incongruent. And I think that's another thing that can just raise awareness to, um, Hey, we're going to need some outside help.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes. And that's such a good thing that we need to make sure that our our listeners know that our Christians know is that it's, it's okay to reach because we don't ever want to get to that point where um, we're in that place that we're so deep in depression that we're thinking about, oh, oh right. you know, running off the side of the road because we haven't dealt with it and the shame, but then, you know, the shame that's added to it, but then it just makes us go deeper and deeper and further oh, and yeah. further in it. And instead of dealing with the situation head on, yeah.
1: um,
0: you know, it just, it escalates. So I wanted to move into this and we've kind of already touched on this, but I wanted to ask, um, it, people have mentioned, um, and I've heard this as a, so as you, I'm sure you have heard this as well. Is like, it's just a, anxiety. is just a spiritual thing. And I know we talked about just, we just mentioned, you know, sometimes when you're praying too much and I love the, the blaring alarm, that is something yeah. that I'm definitely going to use. I'm going <laughs> to use that, that example. I love that. So I thank you for that. But, you know, some people have mentioned, well, it's just kind of, uh, um, it's just a spiritual thing. And so I wanted to know um from you who's who is a therapist and also a pastor's wife, is, is this always a spiritual thing? and is some of it a spiritual? And you know, what is how would you respond to somebody that said, um anxiety, it's just a spiritual thing?
1: Um, I think have to let me see. I, I think I have to consider again, like the lens that I'm using, especially, um, for anxiety is, um, God, our creator created us to feel the things that we feel, um, right. um, and think the things that we think, but when it kind of gets out of control is when like things aren't matching up. Like I was talking about that a little bit ago, as far as what's incongruent. Um, I think anxiety most definitely can be a spiritual thing in that, um, Okay. Imagine, uh, you, you know, what doing right is, you know, what the word of God teaches, and then you choose to ignore that. So you're going to have this anxiety, um, that's there on some level, you're going to have this anxiety of, um, I need to get right with God. That's, that's you like acknowledging humbly that you have a need for a savior and a rescuer. So I, Absolutely. I think anxiety can be spiritual in that sense. I think it can be, um, spiritual in other senses too. I think this is where self-awareness really comes in and spiritual self-awareness. If we are, um, disciplined and our spiritual disciplines and we're reading the word of God and we're trusting the Lord through prayer, and we lay that lens over everything. I think we can definitely discern that some of our anxieties are going to be spiritual. Mm-hmm. Um, it can it can come in the form of a spiritual attack, absolutely. Uh, but we know that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. Mm-hmm. Um, they it's spiritual warfare. So we like you you think through all of those things, and there definitely is some spirituality to anxiety. I am a spiritual being. I'm created by God. And so I, when my biological, my psychological, my social, emotional, and my spiritual, like yeah. those are five things that I want working together all the time. Rarely do I ever feel like it's just one thing. Right? Um, it's, it's so many things. And we talked about that a little bit. It's like the physiology of anxiety. What does it look like physically? Well, there's definitely a spiritual aspect to it, but you're constantly using the lens of the word of God and you're measuring everything. It's your plumb line. You're, you're measuring everything there. and. um. We can talk about that as, as we go forward, just because the worldview that you, that I have as a Christian and as someone who loves God and believes that he's my creator and everything, I mean, I'm made in his image, everything about me, um, it is, um, yes, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And I absolutely feel like there's some, um, you know, in that, in that global sin that we have, that's really a cause of all these negative cognitions and like the negative aspects of anxiety, but it also is to drive us forward too. So it's not just a spiritual thing. I don't think I could say that, but there are definitely spiritual aspects to anxiety. And I think we can use our discernment to know and spiritual and self-awareness to know exactly how we move kind of through the spiritual aspects of anxiety and what action it's calling us to take what Mm -hmm. faith is required of us in this anxiety
0: that's such a good way to look at it because you said there are aspects of anxiety that are spiritual Mm -hmm. Um, and so it doesn't always have to be just that this is just anxiety of course we do know like you mentioned sometimes it can be a spiritual attack but if you are if you are doing all the things that you're supposed to be doing, and I, one of the things that I think about when you talk about anxiety and, um, in from a biblical perspective, is I think of of Adam and Eve in the garden, knowing that they had sinned, and feeling the anxiety of like, but he's calling me, you know, where are you, Adam, in the cool of the day, you know, feeling yeah. the shame, feeling the anxiety because knowing that they had sinned, they had done something wrong, and they knew that. The Lord knew that they had done something wrong, and so that anxiety, that shame of being in a place where I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing, and yeah. you know, of course, that's more. I think of like, well, that's a good. I'm glad you kind of feel that way because that conviction, <laughs> a turning conviction, and, and yes, yes.
1: <laughs> absolutely, yeah.
0: Check hard. If you can't sleep at night because you're worried, well, we don't like worry, but what can you do to change it? Okay, well then, you know, we can we can talk to God and we can make things right. And, Absolutely. Uh, those are good things that will move us forward. Like you said, uh, move us forward. And so, um,
1: yeah. Yes. I love that. I think of King Saul a lot of times um, when we talk about anxiety, that is just so debilitating, you know, he had trouble sleeping, right? So he asked David to come in and play music for him and he would throw, he would throw his spear <laughs> and is like at, at him. And why and I think to myself, okay, what at this place, and it you know, we are laying a spiritual lens over this, but at this place in Saul's life, um, he he had made some pretty bad mistakes as far as decisions that he'd made you know he's our first king the first king and then um and doing things out of order and not looking to god first no wonder he couldn't sleep at night right. His anxiety <laughs> alarms were so loud and he like there was like you said a conviction of the holy spirit to say you know like there there needs to be change here in your life some sorrow some repentance um and I, I guess he would be an example of someone who ignored that or didn't have the self-awareness and was just trying to soothe it away with music and, you know, with with food and all, all of these other things.
0: So I wanted to go into one of my last things talking about um, Christian misconceptions, because one of the things that um, we hear a lot is that there is just a lot of there's a lot of shame. There's a lot of, we don't want to talk about anxiety because we're afraid that people are going to think that we're less spiritual or that Mm -hmm. we don't read our Bible, even though people are reading their Bible and they're doing everything that they can. But, and this is one of the reasons why I'm so glad that you are on today. And so many of my other people that are talking about mental health is because I believe it's so important to break the stigma because when we start talking about things and, you know, getting the flashlight and we start taking it into some of these dark places, then there and bringing it into light, you know, there is no more shame. And mm-hmm. so I guess I wanted you just a little bit to speak about that as we're kind of talking until we kind of go into some other things, but what, um, how do you help somebody that is saying, you know what, I just, I don't really want to talk about this. This is really difficult for me because I'm afraid that if I talk about my anxiety, that maybe I won't be asked to play the piano anymore. or Maybe, you know, it's just a real sort of thing. Like, I don't want to face this because what if, what if, what if people are going to look at me differently because I'm struggling with this?
1: Yeah. I think, well, when you think of the words, um, worry and fear, those really can be um, interchangeable with anxiety. And there are um, a wealth of scriptures that say, "Don't be afraid," or "You don't have anything to fear." Greater is that that's in me than He's that in the, that is in the world, and and you have all these scriptures that that feel like, um, yeah, there's like this condemnation sort of from other people, not from God. And I think that's really what we have to use there. It's from other people. Oh, how could you be so anxious? You know, you're, you're praying, or uh, if you're, if you're anxious, then you're not praying or you're praying so much. How can you still be anxious? It must be, you know, some, something spiritual. It can be something, um, that, uh, is wrong in your life, which we're saying, The anxieties that are in our life could be that we want to pay attention to it. And we live in a world, in a culture and society that, um, that just, if the alarm is loud, play your music louder or go faster or do more. And, and, um, you know, you're, you're fighting through all of that and you've got everyone's judgments on the outside. And I think really that's where the shame and the condemnation comes from. Cause we know that condemnation does not come from God. Uh, yeah. Um, conviction comes from the Holy spirit. And so when other people are judging you, maybe we like, maybe the others aren't doing their job of loving their brother, their sister in Christ. But I think there is shame that comes with it. I don't want to talk about this because that's going to make me weak or inadequate, or I don't measure up or like, it's not going to look good on my resume. How many people put on their resume? I'm given to anxiety. (laughs) Um, But again, back, back to that point of not, uh, not wanting it to be your identity. So we, we push hard against that, but also like just humbly acknowledging have this anxiety or I have these anxieties in my life right now. Um, there is a misconception that says, you know, if you're fighting through that, then, you know, you're not doing enough or there's sin in your life somewhere. Um, or that, uh, your genetics keep you, um, at distance from God or that there's weakness there. And we believe that all of those are myths and lies from the devil. Um, but there, Uh, I think there, we do have to push against the stigma. So as a pastor's wife and also a marriage and family therapist, um, I, I am regularly seeing like the human condition and like a spiritual condition people are coming up and I'm always trying to meet people where they are. Um, it's, it is, uh, I, Am going to be the last person to put shame on anyone uh, because I myself am broken. We all are sinners, fall short of the glory of God. I myself am broken. So try to meet people where they are. Really push against the stigma that if you're going to go to therapy, that that means that there's something terribly, horribly wrong with you, and you know you're on this path straight to hell. It's not like that. Therapy is a great enrichment to anyone's life, and um, I I know that that some people will disagree with that. But I think anytime you can take a look at yourself and, and be in the presence of wise counsel and say, I need some more self-awareness mm-hmm. or I need this in my life. And I need to learn how to practice this. I want to acknowledge that God truly is on my side and that he's fighting for me. I want to acknowledge that he is my shelter and my covering that he is going to be with me and he uh, is going to take care of me. And he's going to leave me beside the still waters. Like anytime you can get, counsel, coaching, mentoring in that direction from your pastor, from loving people. You can push against, hey, yes, I have this anxiety, but this is just, like I said, a tough part of a a tough chapter that I'm writing in my story. This is what's happening. It's here for a purpose. I'm going to thank God for it. And I'm going to begin this gratitude journal where I say, thank you, God, that you're showing me this. Expose me for who I am. Let your word do that to me as I read it. And, and let me trust in you uh, against the fear and the worry.
0: Mm-hmm. Wow. That is really powerful. The just especially as you being you know, a pastor's wife, who's like, I'm just going to love you and I'm going to meet you where you are. And there is no shame because we all are broken people. And isn't that all of the us.
1: truth? Yes. We are
0: all broken people. And we if are. only we could just see that. And, and you mentioned, you know, can, condemnation doesn't come from the Lord. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, it comes sometimes with the pressures from other people, but it doesn't come from the Lord. And um, if only we could kind of just see that and just be the norm of, and I know we touched on it a little bit um, earlier of how that people sometimes wait till it's too late or wait till they are imagining themselves driving off the cliff of a car. You know, it gotten so bad that they did not take the time to look at it when it first started or recognize the signs and feel free to just say you know what i i think i i think i need to see somebody maybe i need to go talk to somebody it doesn't always have to be a therapist yes it can be but maybe mm-hmm. i might need to talk to my pastor
1: right.
0: maybe i need to have a conversation with somebody that i trust that can give me wise counsel absolutely so we're not going on this other end um so i right. wanted
1: I'm sorry. That's all right. I was just going to say, you're exactly right. Anxiety isn't the problem, right? Anxiety is a symptom. It's a signal. And when you can notice it and pay attention to it, um, it, it really just becomes, um, a signal that, that says, Hey, I need to pay attention to this in my life. That was really good.
0: That is the truth. And again, I'm going to use that whole blaring alarm because <laughs> <laughs> that really is such a good analogy for, for anxiety. It is this blaring alarm and it, when it becomes too loud when and you can't hear other people or other things, this is when you know we got to get something done. We need to change some things. We need to kind of look for some help. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to talk about, and I know for, it's got to be different for everybody and where they at, are at in their life, but what are some of the top five practical tips to managing anxiety? So when people come into you and are saying, you know, I'm not talking about those people that are kind of, again, going off the side of the cliff, and but, you know, when people are saying, I'm having some anxiety in my life, what are the t- five practical tips that you tell people that maybe they should change or they should do to try to manage their anxiety?
1: Um, that's really good. Um, Lorraine, I feel like, I feel like I can come up with three really practical ones that maybe have some subsets, but, um, I think speaking of alarms, I think the very first thing that we can do is to slow down and to listen to the alarms, Mm -hmm. um, and write our thoughts down. So remember anxiety is about worry and fear. It's usually about future things, or it may be about things that are in our past that tell us something about that that isn't true. So if you write your thoughts down, and I know that that some people will push against that because they're like, oh, journaling, it's so much, but you don't have to call it journaling. You can write your thoughts down in your phone. You can do it on paper. Um, maybe putting it in paper is a little too scary for you because you're actually writing that thought down. But the, the value to writing things down is you can examine them and you can determine then what is true and what is not true. And I say this to a lot of people, a lot of my clients who have anxiety. I'm like, look, that whatever you're feeling, that is absolutely 100% real. Your heart is racing, you are sweaty, your palms are like clammy. You know something's going on. That is real. But the thought that you're thinking or the feeling that you're having may not be true. Mm. Just become because it's real doesn't mean it's true. And I've I've heard another therapist say it this way: facts aren't feel or feelings aren't facts. I, I I get that too, but I'm going to screw that up because there's alliteration there probably. So I do (laughs) not use that one very much, but it is real, but is it true? And so if you're writing your thoughts down, you're examining your thoughts and really kind of like the inner workings of your heart when you do that. And here's like the spoiler alert that I feel like has been undergirding what we're saying all along, your thoughts and feelings, they might be telling you the truth. Hmm. They might be telling you that you are in an unsafe relationship. Mm-hmm. that could be true. They might be telling you your credit card debt may have you close to ruin you and your family. They, um, it might be telling you that you and your family, you need to move to a safer neighborhood, or you need to answer the call of God that's on your life or something like that. So the spoiler alert is if you write it down and you examine it, it might be telling you the truth. But a lot of times what we'll notice is as you write these things down, a lot of them aren't true they they aren't based in fact or in truth and so you have this particular thought that someone is going to think this about but you don't have any basis for that and so you can examine that and you can set it out and you can separate what are my thoughts that are causing me to behave this way or feel this way. Or act, are they true or are they false? What can I control? What can I control? So that's number one for sure. Just write it down, um, and, and pay attention to those alarms because they might be telling you something really important. Um, the second thing is to learn to control your thoughts and actions. Um, and that, that was, I was kind of leading into that when I said, when you're writing down and like examining, like, what can I control? Can I can control and what can't I control? Um, so second Corinthians ten five says, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity, to the obedience of Christ. So if you control your thoughts, then you control your actions. So take every thought captive, challenge those negative thoughts hard, fight against that, fight against those negative and critical thoughts that are in your head and make a list of what you can and can't control. So journal there. And uh, again, it's like writing, writing things down, pay attention to the alarms and then learn to control those thoughts and actions. So those two kind of go together. Um, and then the uh, a third one is to process your past hurts and trauma. And as we said earlier, we can't talk about anxiety without talking about painful past learning or mm-hmm. trauma. Um, it might mean finding a therapist or a professional counselor, a pastor, or a group to be accountable to, because if you acknowledge that trauma exists it's, uh, in your life. I think that's like a very first step. A lot of times we're trying to quiet everything and we don't want to, as you said, because there's this stigma or there's this shame and there's misconception and, and we want to push it back and say, I'm past that. It's all in the sea of forgetfulness. You know, it's, um, I I think I've, I've found so much healing and then it'll show up in our life again. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, not everyone has to have professional counseling to heal trauma, but find someone that you can talk to and acknowledge that that trauma exists and decide that you won't allow trauma to become an identity same way we don't identify with anxiety as ours it's not mine it's a chapter i'm writing it's something i'm moving through your past is an experience not a destination you are not the worst thing that ever happened to you you are not the worst thing that you ever did just understanding that you're not going to allow trauma and the enemy to become um, part of your identity. And then work to be forward-facing into your future. Um, name of my practice is forward-facing practice because I like to be forward-facing. Paul said, forgetting those things which are behind. I want to be forward-facing. You look into your future and you put the trauma uh, stones that you've carried around, you put it in your past and you just put them down. Find a therapist um, and and be accountable and um, and do the things that are needed to help you really engage with your spouse and, and, uh, and to hold your kids and not be afraid of that, to, to break um, these cycles that can be generational with abuse and all of that. And you find someone to help you so that you can connect with people so that you can enjoy uh, things again, so that you can uh, be a minister of the gospel and of God's love, because when trauma and anxiety stand between you and what God has for your life, it it is messing up your functioning and you need help and it's okay to ask for it. It's okay to ask for it. Um, so I, I feel like there was a lot there, but I kind of n- numbered them one, two, and three. Hopefully that's helpful. <laughs>
0: no, that was wonderful. And that is just powerful too, again, what you just said, and I, in my mind, I'm thinking to myself something that's been coming to my head is that sometimes we want to bury trauma, like you said. It, you know, we want to put it oh, behind yeah. us, but if it's really behind us, and I, people say, "Well, time heals all pain, time heals everything," but time doesn't always heal everything. Sometimes there are infections that mm-hmm. get worse that continue to fester underneath the skin, and unless that's you're so really ready to go in and do the heart work, as sister, Dr. Cindy Miller would say, you're ready to go in and take out the infection and get on that mm-hmm. surgery table and let God, or, you know, have somebody help you take out that infection. It's going to hurt. It's going to be painful, but you're going to be so, so, so much good. better once you're able to take and clean that wound out. And then you'll be able to actually heal, mm-hmm. but until you're willing to address it, yeah. um, you know, there, you're, you're not, you're fooling yourself.
1: <laughs> oh yeah. The inner workings of our heart are very complex and, and complicated sometimes. And God created us to store those things and, in, in certain places. And so like I, I was saying, yeah, like you, you feel like it's in your past and time heals all once. Well, actually what time does is it creates distance between the event and, and like, and then you have all of this time maybe to have these thoughts, about well this is what I believe about myself based on on this painful past hurt or um this trauma that's in my life and if you can really expose like your the inner workings of your heart to someone um that's really where true healing happens and you find your identity in Christ and not in these things that happened to you
0: Uh Uh Mm -hmm. about that that has been so insightful for me personally. So I know if it's been insightful for me. I know that everybody else that is listening to the podcast is going to definitely feel the same way. And so just hearing you talk about anxiety, but I know that you are also, um, you do trauma and I believe you said you are certified in EMDR and do other things. So I'm just like, okay, well, you know, eventually we've got to get you back so we can talk about trauma.
1: <laughs> sure. Absolutely. <laughs> then- I would that's so another
0: honest. thing we can do, um, and talk about because that's another much needed thing. But, uh, you know, as we were talking about today, anxiety, those kinds of things can go hand in hand. Um, mm-hmm. uh, they definitely can.
1: Absolutely. And so
0: I appreciate you coming on and agreeing to be my guest today. It has just made my day that we could have <laughs> a conversation that is so helpful to everybody out there, um, who is struggling with this because we know so many people struggle mm-hmm. and, um, I just wanted to thank you again. So, to all of our listeners out there, um, this is Amber Kier, who mm-hmm. is a uh, private practice in Ohio, um, forward facing. Mm-hmm. Yes. So,
1: mm-hmm.
0: all right. Well, God bless you, Amber. Thank this you. is Dr. Lorraine signing on from the exchange. Have a good day, everybody.